coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. If you go outside and you cast and you have your your thumb up when you cast and you push the rod forward on your forward stroke, you push it and you don't tip it down a little bit, you will throw a tail. If you separate the top and the bottom a little bit by just tipping your th- your thumb down, kind of like when you throw a dart and your thumbnail ends up pointing at where you threw the dart, if you're doing this with your hand right now, which I am, you can force yourself to throw a tail. When you can do that and you do this kind of punch-push thing with your thumb up, you'll throw a tail, you will begin to understand how you threw a tailing loop. That was J.P. Ross with his best tip for understanding the dreaded tailing loop. Skinny Streams, ESPN Outdoors, and Trout Power, today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. A quick and easy way to support this podcast is to click over uh, through our sponsors links. Uh, Go over there, give them a shout out, let them know you found them through this podcast. And if you get a chance and find a product you like, go ahead and, uh, and check it out. Click that buy button. We would appreciate all that support. This episode is sponsored by Rare Gear, not only making telescoping fly rods, but rethinking the whole fly fishing kit as we know it. This rod is a blend of traditional and Tenkara styles to make a super highly packable rod that fits literally in your pocket. I have this thing going everywhere with me. It's in my backpack. It's always there. Throwing it down, you sometimes forget about it, but when you need it, you can break it out and fold that thing out in a matter of seconds and you're good to go. We're also sponsored by Angler's Coffee, roasting a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers right now to support uh, anglers and this podcast. That's uh, anglers, A-N-G-L-E-R-S. JP Ross is here to share his fishing story of creating a 30-year-old fly rod company and some of the great mentors he's had along the way. We hear about one of those mentors, uh, Berkheimer, who early on helped him connect and uh, enroll some of his blanks. Uh, we find out what his favorite length is for small streams. It is definitely on the small side, and we dig into that today. And we also find out about his podcast he created in the seam. Give a holler if you have time today. So without further ado, here we go. JP from jprossflyrods.com. How's it going, JP? It's going great, Dave. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for uh, putting this together today. I, you know, sometimes uh, probably like you, you have a, you have a podcast going, you've got a uh, a business going. You're probably a pretty busy guy, and and sometimes I wonder, you know, exactly where these episodes start from. But I think I realized as I was getting into it that uh, Mark Usick is a friend of yours, right? Yes, very close friend of mine. We've we uh, been together since first grade Catholic school. Oh, wow. So there you go. So I didn't know, and I knew I've been hearing about you out there. You've been popping around, but I'm sure Mark has mentioned you or along the way because I know he's been supporting what we have going here, um, you know, for a while. And, you know, so, so I think that's probably the connection we have, but you've got some good stuff going here. So I want to talk about your fly rods. Of course, the podcast is exciting that you have that going uh, in the same podcast. And then, um, but start us off, before we jump into a little, we're also going to dig into some on small uh, stream fishing, but bring us right back quickly to how you got into fly fishing and we'll take it into the uh, the rods. Uh, I got into fly fishing when I was uh, probably around 
12 years old or so. And um, it's an interesting story. I, um, I went to my mother's work. She managed a doctor's office and Dr. Lombardo was one of her clients that she managed. She did uh, like office administration and ran the, ran the business essentially for a bunch of doctors. And, and anyway, he always asked, you know, Hey, are you doing any fishing? And I told him that I was saving my money to buy this Fenwick spinning rod. And he was like, spinning rod, you know? And, uh, he's like, you know, you need to learn to fly fish. And I was like, I'm not, you know, I was 12 years old and I was like, I don't know what that, you know, that stuff's all about. And so he literally canceled his, his, an appointment that afternoon, took me outside to his old suburban. It was, it was the old Chevy platform where they were like the, the kind of like the mini school bus type, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's so, awesome. and it was, it was dark blue and white stripe. I remember that. And he had like <laughs> the, the bus doors on the back and he opened it up and he taught me how to fly cast in the, in the parking lot. Nice. And, um, and I in turn did get a Fenwick Eagle fly rod. It was my first fly rod. And, um, I would walk to, to the local Creek and, um, I'd walk to the Dunham public library and I got all kinds of books, read, read as much as I could. Um, and then by the time I got to 16, it was like, I was fishing. And when I was in high school, I was already doodling logos for the fly rod company and fly shop. I mean, I was like, I knew oh, wow. I was going to do it. So yeah. that's right. Wow. So that's, I mean, that is a cool story. I love that the doctor and, I just talked to one of our listeners this week who is also a doctor. I, I kind of occasionally try to pick the brain of some of our listeners when I can. And, and, uh, and yeah, it's pretty cool, right? I mean, you've got all these people around here that typically there's one person that you hear that gets you going on it. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so, and so the rod, so how'd you talk about that a little bit? So you already know you're doodling in high school. Um, I mean, what did that transit, what was that like going from that period into now where you are? Well, I, so in high school, I had an auto detailing business. So I was like, kind of like cut my teeth into entrepreneurship, like young. So a lot of people are afraid to leap to do a business. And I wasn't that afraid to do it. I just needed some funding to do it. And, um, and I saved a lot of money. Actually, I saved up, um, tens of thousands of dollars in order to have the first fly shop, which was called rising trout outfitter. It was, um, on the uh, on the third floor of a old textile mill that got refurbished into offices, and as soon as I got into the fly shop, of course, you know the reps start showing up. So the Thomas and Thomas rep shows up, and the Sage rep shows up, and yeah. I remember that you know I was like, oh my god, like these are like three hundred dollar entry level fly rods, you know, and I'm yeah. like. First of all, I got to buy these at wholesale. Secondly, I don't know if anyone's really going to buy these. So um, I always wanted to make my own. Never really did it. And, um, and just carved out a spot in the shop and started making J.P. Ross fly rods. And the whole idea was I was making a rod that was 100 bucks retail with a case. And, um, and I could make more margin doing that than, um, than buying... I guess the, you know, the entry level, entry level stuff from the big, from the big guys. And what ended up happening was, you know, I learned a lesson in business too, which is, you know, your, your, your customer relationships and standing up for your product and, and being there for your customers. So many people wanted another one. They got the, they got the basic one and then they would say, you know, I want another one. I want, mm -hmm. I want a nicer one. 
So I said, okay, I'll make another one, I'll make a nicer version. And, um, and it grew. And then, uh, you know, the, the stigma of making, of having a, a quote unquote rod company is, are they your blanks? You know? So right. eventually it got to the point where I teamed up with, um, at the time I teamed up with Kerry Berkheimer and, um, he was like the first guy that took me serious and we made and designed some rods together. I also teamed up with a guy named Eric Jobson who had, um, he was rolling blanks up near Lake Placid and had my own designs and learned about batch process. Cause you'd know, you'd make a dozen of them and you know, six or so would be like really good. I don't know if, if, if people know this, but you know, when you roll blanks and make your own blanks, they're not all identical. They're yeah. there. It, it is a batch process and they're, you know, so, you know, some flex good, some don't flex good. So, so then, so that kind of got me into realizing what you had to do to do your own designs and how much you had to invest. And eventually that morphed into, I had a great team of anglers that wanted to compete in the ESPN outdoor games. And they happened to be at Lake Placid. A lot of them were at Lake Placid, which is not far from us where the 1980 Olympics were. And we designed a rod called the K357. And many of the people for a few years competed and, and cast my rod and, and was winning the casting competitions. We won it too. Um, and uh, I ended up kind of like being the guy in the background, you know, that was like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the tall, handsome, <laughs> great casting guy. I was the guy behind the scenes that was envisioning um, what we should do to the rods and who should be casting them and what our message should be. And this is all in like in my, you know, my late twenties. So I started when started when I was 20 and then in my late twenties, it really took off. Um, and that's where we, we kind of morphed into small stream rods too. Oh, gotcha. So late twenties and what just for uh time wise. So, so you started, I think the rod company 97. So late twenties was what, what year was that? So, uh, late twenties was, um, early two thousand. So I was, th- uh, 20 and 97. So in 2007, yeah. I was 30. Gotcha. Gotcha. Perfect. All right. So that gives us a little time, time frame. And, and Berkheimer, I, I love that. Obviously he's, he's huge. Uh, we had him on episode 282. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. He, um, yeah, he builds one of the, you know, one of the best. And so that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, how do you connect with somebody like Berkheimer, you know, because I imagine a lot of people would love to connect with him. I've heard he's, you know, he, I think he talked about that in the episode that he did some of that um, stuff with other folks out there. How'd that work? Yeah, I don't think I don't think Kerry does it anymore. Um, I think I think he focuses pretty much on his own stuff, which is great. But, you know, it's a small niche community. And um, there weren't at the time, there really weren't like a lot of people that were rolling graphite. Um, and even then, I will tell you, like it was I, I saw the. I saw the transition of stuff from Asia. You know, when I started, it was that wasn't the case. In the late nineties, everything was still pretty much like OEM was made by the original manufacturer and it was made where their headquarters was. Um, so then we went through this transition of um people that are, you know, are an American company, but they're getting components from Asia and then, then that kind of like you know, now recently with COVID and everything, that's kind of like changed, you know, you have mm. to deal with supply chain stuff and everything. Yeah. So, so Carrie was just through networking and it was a small group. So, and he just really was, it was, there were a lot of people in my history that, that were 
you know, older seasoned, um, craftsmen, business people that took me seriously. And I was this kind of young guy. There were a lot of people that wanted to see me fail too. Cause the, you know, the market, the industry is any industries like that, right? You got, you got sincere people that really are doing it for one reason. And then there's always a group of people that really are just, you know, protective kind of crotchety, right. you know, snotty, want you to fail, you know, it seems to me like, um, I don't know. I'm, I think, yeah, I don't even know, but it seems like that's the minority. I know we had, um, uh, another rod builder on uh, oyster bamboo and he talked about how he, um, he created this, this school to teach people how to do it. And everybody, you know, was like trying to hide their secrets in the bamboo, but he was like, you know what, I'm just going to share it, share it for, with everybody. And that actually helped his business. You know, sure. I, I feel, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the people that are kind of holding it tight, I don't know. It just seems like, again, I always compare it to what we do in the podcasting. I feel like the more podcasts, uh, fly fishing podcasts out there, the better we will be. Right. I think it, it raises everybody. Um, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. So there are, so along the way you ran into a few people that were kind of like, you know, hoping you weren't successful around 30 years later. That's not necessarily fly fishing industry. That's capitalism. Yeah. You know, when you start to grow and you start to be considered possibly a threat to whoever is your nearest competition, you're going to find out really quick, you know, what the behavior is of that competitor. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a baker, you're a, you know, craft brewery, you know, whatever it is, suddenly, you know, the craft brewer gets a label and decides, you know, they're going to start selling to like the local grocery market. And then the big breweries like, who's this guy, you know? Yeah. Do, do they want to team up with them? Do they want to put them out of business? You know, that's just capitalism. Yeah. So you got to be, you know, and to your point about like all the podcasts and stuff like that, I will say that, you know, today's day and age of doing business, um, there's, there's a lot of saturation of stuff. So, you know, trying to be able to be seen and heard and have an interesting message, a unique message is a challenge. It's not as, you know, it's not as easy maybe as it was, back in the late nineties when there weren't as many players. Now there's a lot of players. So it's challenging. You got to really be deliberate about what your vision is and how you're going to execute that vision. You have to be agile so that you can, uh, learn from, um, I don't want to say failures cause I hate the word failure because failure in my opinion is giving up you you, there's just lessons that you learn when things don't go to plan and you just pivot. Yeah. You know, so that's right. That's right. Yeah. Pivot. Being good at, uh, well, I like the, I like failure. I like that word because I think it, uh, you know, I think it's good. I think there's quotes out there, right? Those that fail most are the ones that win stuff like that, you know, because you, you get, get good at it because you're going to, you know, out of the things like whether you're talking about marketing your business, I mean, you know, 80% of the things you try are not going to work out, but it's those 20% that, that do work and then you double down on those. Um, but, uh, no, this is great, man. Well, I, I feel like we could chat again, like we said at the start, I could talk to you about business for uh, like a, an hour easily, but, uh, <laughs> but, but let's, let's keep it on track here because you mentioned That's a couple okay. things. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so the Berkheimer is inter- interesting to me, you know, because he's such a big player and it, it makes sense now, you know, why you're still in the game, obviously having some of those influences early. Um, so now where you're at now, I mean, so you've been, how, how many years have, has the rod company been go- going? 25. Strong? 25 and then you yeah, started that 20, fly yeah. shop now is that still rolling as well no i got the i don't know if you can swear on here but you know i yeah, got the go for so it. yeah well i got the kicked out of me in 2006 which was when 
I don't even know if you know who Gander Mountain is, but there was a local Gander Mountain came to town. They opened up their big box store. That took a lot of my local market share. I wasn't smart enough to be expanding the fly rod company to the bigger market, although I did have dealers at the time. Um, And it just took too much top line revenue too quickly. And um, I regret now that I didn't dig my heels in. I actually, I kind of like, I was kind of a baby. You know, I kind of like was you know, poor me and, uh, and went into, to doing some corporate work. And, um, you know, I regret that I should have, I should have, I should have, uh, well, whatever. I'm not going to shit on myself. Yeah. That's what happened. So the fly, so I closed the fly shop, kept the rod company scaled down. And then I did do what I am doing now, which is I pivoted and sold. And now I sell direct, um, I have one dealer, really. I have one dealer, which is Andrew O'Neill in Laramie, Wyoming, the company called Free Flow. And Andrew's from here, local. I've made a couple documentary films with Andrew. He started this archery fly shop in Laramie, and you can buy my rods at his shop. Otherwise, everything's direct. And the reason for that is because it's not because of the margins. It's because of my purpose of why I exist as a company. And my purpose is to interact with people and try to be, uh, to have an effect in their life to, to get outside and enjoy the outdoors. And that the, and that the fly rod is just a tool, right? That a fly rod, a, 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 an archery bow, a hiking boots, a canoe, they're just tools that haunt you to be used. And I'm trying to make this tool that is haunting <laughs> my customers, which hope to be friends, yep. go outside. That's great. What is that? I'm thinking now the river runs through it quote, right? I mean, it was, you started your company right about the river runs through it. Um, yeah. Haunted. I'm haunted by waters. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the quote at the end. You know, I, I'm haunted by waters. It's like, that's a pretty powerful word. Would you hear that? Right. Yeah. Yes. And you know, in the case of, you know, Norman McLean, he was, there's a double entendre to him being haunted, right? He, he was haunted on the water because he would think, I, th- I personally believe the reason he used those words is not only is he haunted by waters to go beyond them, but when he is on them, he would think about his brother, Polly, and he would think about, yeah. you know, his wife yeah. that passed. And as you get older, I don't even know how old you are, Dave, but yeah, I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to 50. <laughs> yeah. So you and I are, you know, we're in the same boat and that's when you are in that age group, like we are, you start reflecting. Yeah. You know, I find myself reflecting a lot and I, and I find myself, you know, mindfulness is now like the big buzzword. And right. the truth right. is, is it's like, you know, you just get to a certain point in your life where you're like thinking more about what am I doing and yeah, you know, what definitely. makes me happy and yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's haunting. Yeah. That's haunting. No, I, I agree. I think that makes total sense. Uh, you know, and, and you do think about that on the river. You're like, okay, even this year, you know, I talk about that sometimes like, okay, we've got a limited no- amount of time to do some of these great trips, right? And there's there's thousands of them that we could do, but what are you going to do, you know? And and then you got your family, you know, and how do you how do you make sure you're doing as much with them as possible, right? There's all these struggles and then you got the business. Yeah. Um it's it's kind of a crazy world and then all of a sudden, you know, a friend dies at 50 of a heart attack, right? I mean, or something like that. And you're like, "Holy crap, that that's actually stuff that happens." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, that, um, you know, comparison 
is a great way to enter depression. In my opinion, mm. you start comparing anything, comparing other people, comparing other lifestyles. Right. Whenever you get into comparison, you're pretty much knocking on the door of depression. I'm sorry, yeah. but it's, right. it's, it's bad. Don't do it. Yeah. That's and right. you know, wishing that you did something, you know, um, those are all things that I think I'm trying to touch upon this on my in the scene podcast. And you probably are experiencing this too, Dave is like, you want to go outside. You want to be outside. I enjoy being outside by myself. I really enjoy being outside with my family too, yeah. but I need some recharge time myself. But when I do go, I feel a little guilty, Yeah. but I'm different when I do it and I do it effectively because I'm better. I'm, I'm just better holistically inside and I'm a better person. But I got to deal with the stress of I'm going to leave my family for a little while, you know? Yeah. So um, I will tell you that I have deliberately like been observing my own emotions. And when I take my kids and my wife off grid with me, I do not experience the stress. Mm. I do not. I only deal with it when I'm not with them. That's interesting. And I've got the business. I got the business rolling enough for, you know, that it, I can separate. I can get away. You know, um, thank God I, I, you know, I've been able to do that over the years, but now it's the, it's the leaving my family. Who does that when you're, when you're gone on the, so you're gone for a, whatever, a week with the family who's running the, taking care of the emails and business. Well, I mean, it's it, between Mark and, um, you know, Mark handling it and, and, um, and even just the understanding from an auto reply message that says you're away, you know, I mean, I can, I can plan to get the rods out, tell people that I'm going to be gone. But, you know, Mark handles a lot of stuff. He's really, he's really great. So today's episode is sponsored by Lake Lady Rods. You can reach Lake Lady right now at 218-251-2626. Check in with Chris and see what he has going. That's the best way to let him know that you're interested or at least find out what kind of rods he has for you. Um, I've got a fine-tuned specimen that I'm going to be breaking out here on the river this next week. A, a blue rod, a gunmetal reel seat, uh, a sweet Portuguese handle, and uh, and it's got all the fixings, all the bells and whistles, uh, including that uh, that nice jungle cock. This is a nine foot four weight, and it just casts like a dream. I'm excited to be uh, getting in on this one, um, and actually, I might let the kids use this rod on this trip, even though they got a couple of fiberglass rods. Which um, maybe we'll switch it up. Maybe I'll let the kids use the. The, uh, the Chris's Lake Lady Rod, and I'm going to use the fiberglass. I think we got a, uh, let's see, I guess we got the eight-footer, seven-footer, and eight-footer. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to break out the old fiberglass this trip. But if you want to check out what Chris has going, he also works on bamboo rods, builds those from scratch, um, all sorts of good stuff going there. You can check in with him right now at uh, Lake Lady Rods. And the best thing, like I said earlier, is just give him a call, 218-251-2626. And if you can, this is the way to support this podcast. If you give Chris a call right there and just check in with him, pick his brain a little bit, ask him about rods, see what he has going. Would be awesome if we can get a bunch of people reaching out to Chris this week after this episode. Okay, back to the show. 
Let's dig into it. You know, I, I, we still got this small stream uh, topic we want to <laughs> dig into, so I don't want to miss that. But um, I do this all the time. I go on a podcast and we end up talking more about life, you know, and that's that's great though. See, that's just you. You know what I mean? That that's we weren't we didn't plan this at all, but that's the way you are. You you kind of that probably resonates with you. <laughs> Anything you do, it does. I well, I think it's good to t- to be honest with you. I think it's good to talk about it. I think you know there are younger anglers that haven't experienced this yet. There are other anglers that are our age that are dealing with it. There probably are older anglers that can say, "Oh yeah, I remember that." You know, it's so great yeah. now that I'm retired, or maybe they say, "I I regret that I didn't." do that one trip where i you know did a high mountain alpine lake golden trout trip or something you know i don't know yeah yeah definitely definitely well let, let, let's hear the podcast we've been talking about this this is uh in the scene podcast so how did i'm not even sure how this came to be tell us about that why did you start a podcast well that was a covid thing it was me i've always loved documentaries and stuff i know you know like ken burns is like my oh, idol yeah. Yeah, and uh and i I wanted to do something that was a little bit more, you know, in depth and talking about stuff that like, I'd like even the title suggests, right. And just like when you're fishing, we're looking for seams, right. Generally speaking, you know, we're looking for the things that aren't necessarily in the mainstream flow than the edges. So the podcast has started to kind of get into that now where I'm, I'm talking with people and asking them like, what are these little tidbits that they come up with? And there are contradictory things, you know, some, some people have different opinions about conservation and about the use of the natural resources. And that's where the podcast is kind of going now. And I like it. You know, I like that. It's not, there's plenty of podcasts to talk about places to fish yeah. and I don't, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, no, I love that. There is, there's, there, we got that. That you know, I think you were on the uh, the destination angler was on Steve's podcast, right? And you guys mm-hmm. dug into something. I mean, Steve covers uh, you know destinations, obviously, and there is a lot of that um, out there. So that says, so you have this. In, and how many episodes are you into? Is this kind of a, are you doing like once a week? Uh no, it was it was once a week. Now it's like once a month. So it's I would say it's ten to twelve a year. I got to bump that up. Um. You know, if I want to, but to be honest with you, it's I'm, I'm hoping, and I the way I see it is, is when people see a new in the same episode, they listen to it because they're like, "Oh, it's a new one." You know, it's not like every week. Yeah. So I try to make everything count. You know, I try to, I try to, if I'm going to do it, I want to try to do it pretty well. And and that's the idea with some of these episodes. So my late, my recent one that I did with Keith Tidball, Doctor Keith Tidball from Cornell, we we talked a lot about this entry re-entry stress thing. We talked about Lewis and Clark and how that related to how we feel about entry and re-entry. We talked about the use of the environment, what wild really is, what is, what does wild feel like, look like. We talked about that because, um, you know, experiencing wildness with more people using the environment is different, you know, can be different, I guess. So, right, right. That's good. Well, we'll put, uh, obviously we'll have links in the show notes to that and people can check out your podcast. Always love, uh, love getting, uh, you know, hearing about a new one. So, well, let's dig into that topic. So we're going to talk small streams and you have some of your rods, you've got some specific, uh, gear mm-hmm. for this. And I know you've talked about this before, but maybe we could just start there on, on the small stream. Let, let's just start with the gear right at the top, since that's kind of the hot, to- uh, you know, topic here. You know, rods, obviously, you know, you have the rod. What What is the, um, you know, for a small stream? We know small streams are, you know, everybody has a little bit different definition. Well, you know, you, yeah. I'll get into the rods in a second, but I, I want to ask you a question. You know, what do you, 
what do you think about small stream fishing? Do you like it? Uh, you know, I like, um, I like all fishing, you know, I mean, still water, rivers, streams, creeks. I've done a lot more big water fishing, you know, mm -hmm. just because I live near really big waters and streams and I've, I've, you know, I'm a steelhead fisherman. Like that's what was not my first love, but it's something that's been kept me going for a while. Mm -hmm. So I'm always thinking usually bigger water, but when I get a chance and, you know, especially now with my kids trying to get them more into it. I mean, small streams are appealing to me, right, more. But I haven't done a ton of it, to be honest with you. You know, I haven't done a ton yeah. of small stream fishing in my life. So I think there's like an, I think there's an intimacy to fishing small streams because the environment is smaller and it's, and you can diagnose it faster. And, um, but also you can, the environment can change quicker because, you can go a hundred yards and a lot can change in a hundred yards in a small stream. And that density of, uh, observation or impulse to me is like intoxicating. I really love that. And, um, I find that I think more and more people really like that. And, um, the reward from seeing a pocket or seeing a seam or just even a little bit more depth, and you're like, there should be a fish there. And then you plop a fly there and there's a fish there. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and I think that's why, you know, a lot of people that I talk to that are like more in the business are like, you know, you need to, you really should branch out more into like salt water and, and carp and warm water right, and double handed right. rods and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, remember what I said a second ago, Dave, if I, if yeah. I want to do something, I want to do something really well. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of rods that are being sold every day. And there are a lot of small short rods that are being sold every day. I'd rather capitalize and take that market share than try to reinvent it. Although I have rods that I've made, as I told you, I have history of making really good distance casting rods that won a lot of competitions and stuff. So we have this, we have a rod called the coherence and the coherence plus, and they're great casting rods. The peacemaker is a 10 and a half foot four weight that also has an interchangeable piece. So you can turn it into an eight foot three weight. So mm -hmm. it's actually five pieces in the tube. You know, uh, that's a great rod, but, um, in the small stream lineup, they go from the rock hopper, which is a, uh, five footer and a three weight. And that's a carbon rod. And I have a, I have a mirror, uh, named after John Muir. That's an e-glass seven foot three weight, five piece. So that packs down to like 19 and a half inches. It's a great pack rod. Um, we have the beaver meadow, um, carbon and the beaver meadow S glass and the beaver meadow carbons. Uh, they start at six and a half foot, uh, two, three weight. So you can kind of like upline that rod and, and doesn't mind. And really, I think it, I like it better with a three actually, but some people like them crisper and they go with a two. And then the, the beaver meadow S glass is six and a half foot, two weight, six and a half, three weight, seven and a half, three weight, seven and a half, four weight and eight foot five weight, which I believe we are, um, we are now going to rename the toad. And that is really going to be kind of like a, like a, like a bassy kind of bigger, um, oh, okay. Bigger, you know, bigger game kind of flyer, and I've got some really cool graphics that we've made. Mark and I both. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember Frog and Toad? Remember those books, The Frog and Toad Adventures? No, I, no, I don't. I was just, oh, I was just yeah. thinking about. No, I have to <laughs> have to check that out. Oh, so I'll send you. The, it, when Mark and I were growing up, we like we loved those. We loved those oh, books, and we oh, had cool. the little. 
we had the little record player thing that you'd listen to. Oh, you nice. Know. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I saw something on Jeff, Jeff Kimball, too. Art, you got that yes, going on out there? Yes, Jeff. So Jeff Kimball, I can't forget Jeff. Yeah, so Jeff's an amazing artist. He's he's doing paintings on the blanks. He's a he's an artist and taxidermist. Um, and he's doing trout art painted right on the blanks. Yeah, that's it's awesome. amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Really cool. And you don't see that. I mean, gosh, I guess... It's funny because you see that trout art in other places, but are there? I don't think there's many fly rods doing it. I don't think so, and yeah. I don't. And I, I, if they are, I'm. I don't want to put anybody down. It's probably a decal. I don't think that they have a artist painting it. We do. Oh, so, so. yours is actually painted. It's a painted. I on. give he's, him the blank. Dead. He paints it. He That's literally really paints cool. it with an wow. with a paintbrush and airbrush. Yeah. Then you just put a coat of epoxy over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it looks it looks a lot. So you got a mix. You got a mix of. I mean, Roy, but you're when you think of your, the people coming to you to get a rod, they are fishing. They're getting some for small streams. Yeah, and they tend to have a quiver. You know, that's a cool, great thing too. Is when you start to build a relationship with these customers, they, you know, our rods are affordable. You know, the the Beaver Meadow Adams, for example, is three hundred and forty nine bucks, made here. I make most of them myself. So it's not hard for someone to get that one. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to get the mirror next. And then I'm going to get, you know, a peacemaker. Yeah. And, you know, Who's rolling the blanks for you guys now? Well, I don't, I don't disclose that, but oh, I can right, tell right. you it is in the Pacific Northwest and yeah. our, our, um, our suppliers are all in North America. Yeah. Uh, so all my checks get cashed in the USA, except our cork comes from Canada, cork makers in Canada. But Berkheimer was was he was he's not right, yeah no, at the start not. gotcha no that's cool that is that is awesome to hear it's all all basically uh, U S U S well North America uh, gear yeah okay so so we got that so we got the gear uh, the rods so so talk about that stream so first I guess let's go to the line so you're talking pretty light stuff two weighted is this all small stream fishing is this all pretty much floating line uh yeah I would say it is um. You know, the the Peacemaker and the Coherence are the longer rods. They they can get into kind of like intermediate and sink tips and stuff. But I would say uh, if a lot of people are fishing sink tips on small streams, I'd like to hear about it. Yeah. Um, I think they're most <laughs> I think they're mostly using floating. So Yeah. Yeah. They might be doing some Euro stuff or something like that. Yeah. Right. Are you guys and we had a recent episode where we had somebody talking about the uh, the Euro stuff on small streams as well. <laughs> but you guys don't do any of the Euro nymph, the big longer the peacemaker is the only Euro nymphing rod that that you could use. It's to the ten and a half uh, four weight. Oh right, yeah, yeah, that is four weight. Yeah, the, I love that peacemaker is off of obviously. Is that a uh, is that the Clint Eastwood? Uh, wasn't that a Clint Eastwood movie, the Peacemaker? So it's actually uh, it's a spinoff of Back to the Future. Oh, um, and we have actually have an image of uh, Marty McFly holding the peacemaker. Uh, gun in one hand and the peacemaker fly rod in the other and he's wearing his clint eastwood uh oh, that's out- awesome. outfit if you remember that uh oh yeah that, yeah that's back, right that back that's to the right. future movie so uh you that's know. awesome so you got a double you got a you're, you're hitting on clint eastwood ed and <laughs> yeah, and marty yes. McFly. so i'll i'll get uh we'll make sure to put a little uh snippet video of either uh McFly, marty the back to the i'll future. send you i can send you the the image it's pretty oh yeah do that it's pretty cool you know mark Usick and i are are you know, we're kind of movie, movie, movie junkies. Oh, good. I love that. See, now you're hitting me. Now you're hitting me up because I love that. Although I don't watch as many movies now back in like the eighties, nineties, whatever. Right. I mean, I was, I've pretty much watched everything. So 
um, we're, we're right in the same. Well, I'll, have to, I'll hit you up some of your top five uh, movies before we get out of here. <laughs> okay. They're, so. I'm sure they're they're all going to be like Blues Brothers, Smokey and the Bandit type of stuff. Anyways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, let's keep on the gear just so, again, we're going to do a little fine. bit of this. So, yeah, we got, yeah. so we got the rod. We got the, you know, um, the line doesn't, you know, not critical there. Um, and then real, obviously, same thing. Get something that's balanced. What else should we be thinking about? Somebody, again, well, first let's start before we do- dig into the general. Where are you at located now and what are your, what's kind of your home area with, for small streams? So I'm in upstate, I'm in upstate New York. So if you're familiar with with New York State, there's like the Long Island, New York City kind of downstate portion. I'm upstate, so I'm smack dab between Syracuse and Albany, and I'm about 30 minutes from the Adirondack Park. Oh, right. That's it. So, so I'm in hill tons. country. Yeah, I've got a lot of rivers. Really yep. pretty place to live. Um, yeah, you're in, you're in a sweet spot, and you got plenty of small streams and lots of. Is that? I mean, are you? You know, you're, when you get out fishing, do you have kind of one spot? You're like, okay, this is my little spot for the day. Or are you always changing it up? Um, you know, you gravitate towards your, you know, your honey holes, kind of thing. But I do like to, I do like to row boats and paddle, and um, I just got a couple water masters and started kind of using those on some, on you know, kind of some rivers that you would not want to do in a canoe, you know, a little two, you know, class one, class two stuff. So, um, that's kind of like been my latest thing is trying to find those rivers. And I got two water masters so my wife can go with me or Mark can go with me. And, mm-hmm. um, so I, I do like small stream fishing. I'll do that. I love to paddle. Um, you know, things change as the seasons change, right? So in the spring it's like brook trout and then that kind of converts over to the bigger water and, you know, brown trout and, and, and hitting the hatches and stuff, maybe go down to Delaware, you know, maybe do some pond fishing for a big brook trout. And then water gets warmer, switch over to smallmouth, love smallmouth bass fishing, largemouth bass fishing, carp, um, even fall fish. I started to try to target fall fish. They're like, I don't even know if you know what they are, but they're like hmm. a, no, they're, they're like a big minnow. And uh, oh, wow. they get to be like twenty inches long. They're almost like a shad or a herring. Oh, gotcha. And they're a, they're viewed as like a trash fish. And um and I'm like, you know, there are a lot of people in the United States that don't have a trout fishery, but they still have these small little mill creeks and stuff. And why can't they go catching other species of fish? So, mm-hmm. so I've I've you know done that rock bass and fall fish and stuff like that. Gotcha. What are, you know, for going back to the small stream type fishing, what are some of the uh, the misnomers when people say they haven't fished a lot of small streams, but they hear they're the things that you hear about, but maybe aren't true? I think one of them might be a size of fish, right? That they're all kind of tiny, tiny little fish. Yeah. So it's all relative. I would tell you that there are, I have a lot of stories and a lot of pictures of people catching fish that are in the high teens, even 20 inches out of small streams. You can, they're definitely can be found. Generally speaking, they're smaller and there's a lot of them. Um, and smaller again is, is relative, you know? So if you go out with a, with our beaver meadow, uh, two weight and catch a bunch of six, eight inch fish on a two weight rod and the thing's flexing down to the cork, yeah. it's a ball. So it's a lot oh. of fun. Yeah. Then you get a 10 inch and you're like, holy shit, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I got to get a picture of this guy, you know? And right. that's awesome. You know, yeah. so it's, and again, you know, it's more about like how you feel, you know, uh, what, yeah. what, is, how does it make you feel? It's not necessarily the fish is the end goal. It's, it's going outside and having a good time yeah. and how you feel about doing that. So, 
and probably not seeing maybe as many people in some of these areas? Is it easy to kind of get away from them? That's very true. You know, I think I sold more fly rods over the pandemic. Well, I know I, I had record years, but generally people were like, I want to go to small streams because I want to get away from people. And that's true. You know, you, you hike into some of these places and you know, blue line as they call it or bushwhack yep. and you're not going to see anybody. You're not going to see trash. You're not going to see footprints. It's pretty fun. Really fun. Yeah. If I was coming up to fish with you, say, uh, you were kind of in the summer now, you know, maybe September, where would we, would we have some action? To, would it be easy to find some small streams and get some good action right now? Yeah. We'd go for brook trout probably September. We would go in the Adirondacks and we'd go for brook trout and you would, you would probably sell your house. Really? Why is brook trout, um, They're, like, well, yeah, that experience? I'd say that tongue in cheek. Cause if you got me on steelhead, I probably you know, <laughs> could probably come to you, but, right. um, whether it's brook trout, cutthroats, even wild browns, um, wild rainbows, you know, when you're handling these fish in these places where the water's cold, a lot of oxygen, um, you know, wonderful ecosystem, and you hold these fish and they're like really just uh, so pristine and untouched and, you know, no marked fins, you know, no, no chip scales. It's just a great experience and they're very colorful. You know, we have our water is very tannic. So, uh, which is like a tea stain color, mm -hmm. like brown stain colored water. And it really brings out the colors in these fish. It's, it's kind of like contradictory to what you think, but as you know, you know, you get, you get fish that come out of the ocean or fish that are in really clear water. They tend to be more silver. And when they're in water and ecosystems that are darker, more mineral rich, they tend to get more vibrant in color. More so and spotting and color, right? The, the spotting yeah, is amazing. Right, right. So, you know, the, um, well, when I started Trout Power as an organization, our missions, original mission statement was to honor clean water by the wild fish that live in it, not by its clarity. And the whole point of that was that if you, you know, you had a glass of water that was tea stained from the Adirondack Mountains or Smokies or whatever, even the Everglades, right? And you hold it next to this, you know, beautiful, pristine glass of, of clear water and say to somebody, which one is more clean, mm -hmm. right? M more yeah. naturally clean. They'd say the clear one. Yeah. And they're like, no, this one's got trace chlorine and right. <laughs> some other things in it. This yeah. one over here, however, that is a little tingy, right? That one's actually, that one's actually the better grade water. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, you meant, uh, I want to hit on trout power in a little bit here. Uh, I want to keep on this line of, sure. of yeah, where we're going, the Ad Adirondacks. And uh, so, so let's say I'm coming in September, we're going to pick up the, the two weight, I think it was the, 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 uh, well, you had a couple of different ones. We'll, we'll talk more about that too, but I got the rod. I I'm heading in with you. We're, we're going to a, uh, you know, undisclosed location. Um, what's that look like as you're coming up to prepare for getting into these, these streams? Are we kind of crawling into these things, getting set up or what, what's that look like? Like picture your, your best place you could take me right now to get some action. Um, I would take a lesson from Mark Usick and we would either put a fly box in our back pocket or just throw a bunch of flies on our brim of our hat. We'd have a pair of nippers and hemos around our neck and some tippet in our pocket. And I'd say, let's go. And that's what we would do. We'd have some streamers. We'd have some dry flies, maybe in maybe one nymph. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and we would have a great day. We'd have a yep. super great day. Um, I generally like to wet wade. 
um, uh -huh. whenever I can because you actually are you're using another sense and you can feel where there's springs and and stuff like that. Uh, so we probably in September we probably wear our wading boots in either pants or shorts. And um, we'd have a flask of bourbon, and we would have <laughs> some smoked sausage and some cheese and an apple, and uh, wow. that's what we. And we would have a water purifier, and uh -huh. uh, that's what we'd do. That's it. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, you got and drinking right out of the stream. So you don't you don't drink uh, uh, out of the stream directly ever. No, we have beavers, so yeah. you know uh, you get you get giardia, and you're gonna yeah. be you're gonna be you're gonna lose some yeah. weight. Not good. Yeah, I heard that uh, way. I heard Yvonne uh, Chenard, you know, Patagonia founder. He was talking about how he's over his whole life he's drank out of the streams, and he's you know he said he think that's what what keeps him going strong. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, well, good. So so yeah, it seems like you know the small stuff is maybe it's not rocket science, right? I mean, these fish you're going to be in areas where there's not they're not heavily pressured necessarily. You can hike away, get it, get into some fresh fish. So. Yeah, pretty much that's it. Get out there, uh, get a small rod, get some action. Um, you know, what else do you tell somebody if they're if they're coming in to pick up your rod and then they're heading out somewhere like this? Do you, do you have any words of advice for them? Uh, I would I would tell them to again focus on the experience, and I would I would judge your success based on the execution of getting outside, not you know how many fish you put in a creel or in the net or whatever you want to call it, how many fish you caught. You know, I would, I would say that's how you should judge your success. So if you want to push yourself hard and you want to really go way in, then, you know, believe in yourself and do that. And if it's, you just want to like not go to the office and get outside and fish, then just accomplish that goal. That's what I would tell them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into tips and tactics and mm -hmm. all that stuff. You know, that's great. I love that. Love that. Perfect. Well, tell me about uh, tell me about the the trout power because you have uh, this uh, sounds like nonprofit. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do, right? You could give money to Trout Unlimited, somebody like that, or, or some of these great groups, or you can start your own nonprofit. So, why did you do that? Why why did you feel like you needed to start Trout Power? Um, we worked actually with Trout Unlimited, and there was a consensus actually between. Um, well, we talked directly with Chris Wood and told him we were going to do it and. Um, we were going to get into this genetic work and we essentially told him we're going to do this project to do uh, micro satellite genetic work on brook trout to try to find more strains. And we literally told Chris, we're going to share all this stuff with you and share these protocols and we're just going to dive into it because the bureaucracy of kind of like getting it going at Trout Unlimited was, mm, yeah. was, is going to take too long. And uh, so I, I was transparent about it and said, you know, look, we're freaking doing it. And, um, yep. and he was like, go for it. Hmm. And he, uh, at the time he kind of wanted a little bit of freshness to, to, um, New York, the way New York and trial limited and upstate was being managed. So he thought it was actually, I think a good disruption. Um, and the reason that we did it, the reason that I wanted to do it was to prove that anglers can do good science work. And, um, and the, I guess, epitome of science, right. When it comes to like biology and conservation and stuff, it's like, oh, imagine if you could do genetics, like, you know, it's like one thing to be like, well, we're taking, you know, water samples and we're sending them to the lab. Well, that's, that's cool. Yeah. But 
to say like, hey, Dave, we're going to go get some fin clips and we're going to put them in this little vial and then we're going to send them out to get <laughs> microsatellite genetic work to find out if, you know, if this is a new strain of brook trout. You're like, it's like, whoa, I yeah. am in, I am so in to this, <laughs> you know, and that's what we found. It was very easy to get followers and get people excited about it because it was challenging. It was new. Um, and the reward, the self, um, you know, the reward that people got from doing this was, was very great. Yeah. They really, they really enjoyed it. How do you do it with, um, you know, I'm picturing some sort of event or volunteer training. I mean, how, how do you, how does that look? How do you get people out there doing this? Yeah. So that's a good question. So we would make these, we would have these adventure weekends and they would be up in the Adirondacks. They would be multiple nights. So it would be a lot of fun, you know, um, to do it. And we would teach the protocols. It'd be the first thing we did is we would do is we would teach the protocols on how to handle the, um, handle the utensils the proper way and not have cross-contamination, how you'd keep track of your stuff. And then you'd be assigned a mission. So you'd have like 20 people at an event and then they would be broken up into missions. So let's say you, Dave, I'd say you, Dave, you, Mark, you sick, you two have the option to take this mission to go way up this stream as far as you can. We believe there's a waterfall there. Try to go above that waterfall and get brook trout up there and get fin clips. Let's find out if the strain above the waterfall is different than the strain below. Mm. And that would be your mission. And yep. you would try to catch enough fish and get enough fin clips so that statistically your data would be sound. Because um, just one or two clips isn't necessarily enough. Um, or if you got one, only got one or two clips, we ran the genetics on that and it looked like it was different, then we would have a bigger mission and go, okay, we need to get like 30 some odd clips here so right. that we're so our data is statistically sound. And everyone would be all in on that. So it was it was adventure weekends with mission-based focus. And we would just we would just bite at it, you know. You eat you eat you eat a whale one bite at a time, right? So every yep. mission every mission mattered. Everyone knew what they were doing. We would get the data back. It would all get mapped out, you know. And now the big dilemma is, what do you do with the data? Because initially, New York State recognized, you know, only a handful of brook trout strains. The science community knew we were going to find more. Now the collective. Uh, database is like well over 80 strains of individual brook trout strains that we found in New York. Hmm. And by strains, clarify that because you've got brook trout, which are a species. How, how is the strain different from the, this brook trout species? Right. So genetically, there are different um, attributes to the genome um, that can show that the strains are different. So just like you have the greenback you know, cutthroat and you have the Apache and stuff like that. Those are strains. So the same thing is true is true with brook trout. They don't necessarily look different though. Like, you know, cutthroats, you kind of can, you can see yeah, the difference. Yeah. Um, brook trout, you don't. So the main thing we were looking at was whether or not there was trace genetics from stocking. Oh, right. Okay. So we knew the genetics of this, what was called the Temiskamy hybrid strain that the state was stocking. So then we would look to see was, was the strain, was the, Stock strain intermixing, okay, were these fish crossbreeding? We would prove that, and we did prove that they would. We also proved that they can they can clean themselves out, so to speak. The strain can actually can 
spawn out the stock strain. So if you leave them, believe it or not, the strong will survive and you can right. recessively, you That's recessively awesome. can give them enough time, right? Give it enough time that they kind of clean the strain cleans itself up. So all of these things were, were hypotheses. And then, you know, you know, good science is you have a hypothesis, then you prove it right, prove it right or wrong. Yep. And, um, so now I'm on this kick of actually, I'm not on the, on, I'm not the, president of trout power anymore but i kind of advise them and i am of the mindset that we should actually like personalize or we should disclose these strains because i believe that individual human beings will get passionate and get emotionally connected to their strain a strain that they fish yeah and then if you have an emotional connection to the strain it's easier to preserve it and conserve it because you have advocacy yeah so the state is a little funny on this state is kind of like, I don't get it. Wild is wild. I'm like, why do you have to, why do we have to disclose these strains? It's going to complicate stuff. And I'm like, okay, we're talking about, we're talking about behavior here. Okay. Human behavior. We're not talking about, uh, management methods. Your management method is fine. You have, if it's designated wild, it's managed as wild, which means you're not going to stock there. That's fine. Good job. I'm talking about advocacy and preservation and getting human beings emotionally connected to want to protect that stream and keep, keep that stream clean, have a stake in it. Right. Yeah. And I think that, that naming it stupid as it sounds, you know, yeah. and it's like, have you have a pet, you know, like, you know, and the kids bring home some, some kitty cat, totally. right. And then they name it and you're like, right. <laughs> well, especially if you name, you know, give these, here's the way you do it with the, the human, let them name it. Then it's, right. you know, they'll call it their own name. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yes. It's a good point. Today's episode is sponsored by Jackson Hole Fly Company. They've been designing and manufacturing fly fishing equipment and flies since 1978 in their home base in Wyoming. In 2020, they launched jhflyco.com and started selling gear directly uh, online to anglers all over the country. You can go ahead and right now and check out their huge selection of uh, rods, reels, fly lines, tools, accessory. Uh, and right now, if you go to jhflyco.com swing, you can get 25% off your first order. Just like Amazon, they'll ship everything directly to your door, saving you time and money. But unlike Amazon, you'll be supporting a great fly shop and this podcast by simply grabbing a few uh, products, maybe just a couple of flies. Check it out. There we go. Get free shipping right now. All orders over $50 and uh, get that 25% off your first order. JHflyco.com slash swing. Okay. Back to the show. So basically, yeah, you're, you're doing some work here that's showing there's more, I mean, essentially subspecies of these brook trout than people thought. Like you thought, you know, brook trout are wild, brook trout are wild, brook trout, but you're saying there's 80 different kind of strains or subspecies of these brook trout, which maybe look the same, but I mean, so that, that's the interesting thing because with, like you said, with cutthroat, they all look a little bit different, right? I mean, and, and the rainbows too, there's different wild strains of rainbows. Um, but I wonder on the brook trout, why? So it's just genetics. There's no other differentiating. Well, I'm going to slightly let the cat out of the bag because what trout power now is doing is we're, we're investing in, uh, in genome analysis. Oh, right, right. So no one's done that. Yeah. And and I will keep you tuned on that, but it's going to be pretty cool. There you go. That's that's awesome. And where is the funding for trout power? Um, like if somebody's listening now and they're really interested in this, maybe they're in your area, they want to help support this. Uh, how do they get involved? They go to troutpower.org and they and they can 
give a donation that way. We're we're working on a thing right now where you actually can like buy a fin clip. So it costs oh, anywhere cool. from it costs anywhere from like fifty to a hundred dollars to do an analysis of a fin clip. Mm-hmm. So you can buy a clip. Um, we're working on that right now, but it's all private. So we don't we get a little bit of grant money, but not enough that it's you know it's mostly private. It's mostly people that are just you know giving funds, and I it's kind of it's kind of morbid, but kind of nice, I guess. I don't know, but we have had a number of people that have passed on and have left money to us. There you go. I never knew of that, but, uh, that's happened a significant amount of money. No kidding. How does, how do they find you? How do these people find, you know, how does that work? They know us, you know, either it started with the rod company or, yeah, you know, right. whatever. And it's, yep. it's through networking, but you know, we've made a we've made a pretty good splash in in Adirondacks and upstate New York, media wise. That we've done some cool stuff. So. Yeah, that's great. Who's the um, you mentioned? We talked about your fly shop you had back in the day. Who who's the local fly shop? Where do you go now? We don't have one. Where do you have? Well, maybe that's not a great. Maybe that's a hard question since you're you. No, you're, that's well, okay. We need one, yeah. in we need one in the Utica Rome area. Mark and I have contemplated that um, of getting back into that and having a fly shop again. So. Um, there's like a Bass Pro Shops here, but that doesn't really count. So, yeah, the, you know, the, the closer ones are honestly, uh, there's some in the Adirondacks. There's, um, there's some in the Catskills. Yeah. It's not, it's, you got to go a long way to get to a fly shop. Hey, really? You got to go along from where you are. You have to go quite a ways to find a local fly shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that, that just seems like, yeah, it seems like you would think, that's such a name you hear so much about that there would be fly shops everywhere, but that's not the case. Right. There you go. Right on. Well, this is, uh, this has been a fun chat. I, I, I've got a few more, uh, I think we got a few random ones I've got for you. If you're ready uh, to take this ready. here in a bit, you're ready for the <laughs> shoot. So we've got our own, we've got our own series of events we're doing. And, um, we've got this uh, challenge we're doing the top flight challenge. This is kind of a fun thing, um, that I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, we're kind of giving away a, a local guided trip and basically to enter, you just have to people go to wetflyswing.com slash top fly, enter their favorite fly and they're entered uh, to win this trip. We're giving away some flies as well, but so we didn't talk flies yet. And I know you're probably going to say this is not critical, but so you, you got your little box that like you said with Mark, you're going out to the small stream. What are the, what are the two flies you're going to have? If you can only pick one, one or two flies, what are they? Uh, number one would be a muddler minnow, small muddler minnow. How small? Uh, 12 and, uh, and I might clip that and turn that into something else. And my second fly would be a fly called the usual. And it's a fly that was invented by Fran betters and the off sable Fran is, is, uh, passed. Yeah. So are you familiar with this fly? Uh, no, but I, I'm familiar with the name. Yeah. So he's, he made the fly entirely out of snowshoe rabbit's foot. Mm. So it floats like a cork. Um, you can trim it down and turn it into an emerger. It's easy to tie, so those would be my two flies. That's it. And, and what would uh, and what would Mark say if he had if he had say one? What do you think he'd say? It would be a streamer. He has this one streamer that he ties, and it is very effective. And, um, and it might rival the muddler, I would say. So if I had a if I had to add a third one, it would be a streamer tied by Mark Usick. Okay. Um, they're skimpy. They're, they're skimpy. They're, they're, yeah. There's just a skimpy good streamer. Yeah, that's awesome. And and smaller streamers, not not gigantic streamers. Right. Relatively, yeah. All right, and you, we talked tips you, before we take any tips, but give me a couple. Again, I'm coming up there. I'm going to be going out on my own. 
um, into some tiny stream? What, what are the two tips you give me to make sure I have a successful day? Your leader has a lot to do with how well you deliver a fly. Mm-hmm. So you should do some experimentation in the lawn with your leader and tippet length with the rod you're fishing before you fish. So that's the first thing I'm going to tell you. Um, and you know how stout it should be and how long the tippet should be added onto it. That to me is important. What if you have that muddler minnow you're on, say your two weight rod, uh, whatever, six foot, you know, six and a half foot, two weight with a muddler minnow size 12, what, what's your we- a leader look like? I'd probably have a seven foot leader tapered down to four X. Yeah. Four X. So pretty, pretty, yeah, good. And nothing crazy there, just a standard. Yeah. But I mean, you know, again, this is where you got to play around because if you, if you trim back your, you know, your leader, your basic leader. Um, and then you add on forex tippet. If you put on three feet of forex tippet with your muddler versus two feet of forex with your muddler, it's a lot different. Lots of times you get frustrated, and people get frustrated that they can't like get the fly to go where they want it to go. And a lot of times, some I find a lot of it has to do with their they have the wrong tippet size based on the fly and too much tippet. I don't know how you feel, but that's but lots of times people getting started. They're like throwing on, you know, three, four feet of five X with like a size 10 woolly bugger. And they're like, yeah. I can't get it there. And you're like, it's not your fault. No. Well, you know, let me show I you love something. That. You know, this is, this is physics. You just yep. can't get the energy to go through that tippet, man. No, no. And this question came up in our, uh, I had an email that came out. We had a recent episode. I think it was, uh, Last week, uh, Hal Jansen, we were talking about uh, Stillwater, and he was talking about how he fishes like a two-weight, almost exclusively fiberglass rods, like for everything, like including he's caught like, he was even saying like 15, 20-pound fish on a two-weight. So it's this extreme thing, but I had a question from one of the listeners reached out to me and said, so how is he doing this? How is he turning over a big fly with a two-weight rod? And so I sent the message to Hal to ask him, and he basically said he doesn't really turn the fly over. He just keeps with a, a long um, open loop. Right. And that's how it mm-hmm. is. D- does that make sense to you? I mean, that's yeah. kind of was, was his take. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's everything really can be, can be explained with physics. Honestly, everything from woodworking, you know, what if you're, what if you, what if you uh, failed physics or you got a D what if you, you're really bad. Is it, could you still understand this stuff? Well, I mean, so yeah. So the, so there's basic principles, right? So it's like, am I, can I get it? It's all about transmission of energy with fly casting and a fly rod. And all you're doing is you're, you're taking this lever and it has potential energy in it, in those fibers. Okay. When you flex it. Okay. That's where you get that potential energy. And then that turns into kinetic energy when it, when the energy comes out of the rod and throws the fly line. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of things that go through this to fly cast. And it really just comes down to the physics and all of these other factors of how, you know, your arc and how fast you go and how fast you stop. And do you cushion it? Do you dampen it? All this other horse. Shit, okay. The point is, is you just got to know that you are creating energy and you're trying to get the energy into the line and the line to the fly. So if you start observing these things by experimenting out in, in the lawn or casting a certain way and understanding what you can do casting wise, to make the fly turn over and get the energy to get to the fly. And you're, that's all you're thinking about is, am I getting the energy all the way to the end of the leader to the tippet? You will cast better. Okay. You have to, I, I mean, I know it's feel and, and stuff and I get it. And it is, it is, it feels good when you cast because 
the energy transmission was um, efficient. Right. Okay. So yep. does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That's efficiency. And so that's the thing. So if you're you're casting a tight loop with some setup and you're feeling it when your rod sets up and it's a great cast, you're like, oh, that felt good. Or like you're saying, you cast with an open loop, maybe your, your leader's a little bit light and you got a big fly on. But if you could keep that open loop, you can still get your timing quite right or however you do it where you can still get the energy efficiently transferred even with a big uh, overweight sure. yeah overweighted yeah. fly right i mean you can cast your loops you can be so efficient and your loop can be so tight that your top and bottom loop collapse on itself and you get a tailing loop mm. all you right know? there so, you go so you can you can go what and you know in science and engineering you call it boundary condition right so you can mm. get to the boundary condition of open loop that's so open that it doesn't even have a loop and it doesn't cast that well to the tightest, tightest, tightest loop where the top and the bottom are so tight, so close that they actually are not working that well. And they're, wow. and they're getting caught on each other. Right. That's amazing. So if you can do that and you can understand what it takes to do both of those things, then you can find all of these variations in the middle to do what you want it to do. That's crazy. Who, um, I can't remember, you might have said this at the start, but I mean, you you had the doctor, you know, taking this full circle, the doctor that taught you how to fly cast. But, um, you know, how did you get up to a level? I mean, have you done, uh, you know, worked with people that have got you to another level or have you just kind of taught yourself over the years? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I had the fly shop, there was this guy, Bob Lewis, and he was a local teacher, great fly caster. He taught me and us at the shop a lot. So I would say the first person I ever worked with that was awesome and knew how to cast really well was bob lewis after that steve bouchard who has um he has a rod company now too oh my god um so steve is steve i, I met steve when he was a pitcher at lemoyne so he pitchers have this awesome muscle memory okay so steve was a great pitcher great caster because he could do stuff identically very easily so enter me trying to make this rod i give it to steve steve's like a robot so i can watch him cast it and he's casting it identically and i can see how i want to change the taper what i want to do it was very symbiotic very synergistic relationship and um and then of course you know my technical brain is thinking about the physics side of things and and um so i learned more and more and anybody can do this by learning how to not cast well, you know, trying to find these boundary conditions of casting short and doing things so that the rod, you can tell the rod what to do and it does it, even though it's not something that is good at casting, but you're doing it because you know, you can tell the rod to do it. You know, when you can purposefully cast a tailing loop and then turn it off because you know how to do it, that's really, really good for learning. Right. That's amazing. See that? And that's probably not the problem a lot of, including me, that have that. I mean, usually it's like, well, you're doing a tailing loop and you're like, oh, man, now what am I doing wrong? Like, why is that thing tailing on me? And and I think you kind of said a little bit of it, right? Like, literally, your loop is too tight almost. Yes. Yeah, so if you, I could tell you right now, if you if you go outside and you cast and you have your, your thumb up when you cast and you push the rod forward on your forward stroke, you push it and you don't tip it down a little bit, you will throw a tail. Okay, you do a real hard speed up and stop with your thumb up and you will throw a tailing loop. If you separate the top and the bottom a little bit by just tipping your thumb down, kind of like when you throw a dart and your thumbnail ends up pointing at where you threw the dart. If you're doing this with your hand right now, which I am, you 
you can force yourself to throw a tail. When you can do that and you do this kind of punch push thing with your thumb up, you'll throw a tail. You will begin to understand how you threw a tailing loop. Wow. And then you'll understand separating the top and the bottom by just tipping it down a little bit. And, you know, you should have someone record you. Yeah. You know, you can do that so easily now. Yep. Just get a phone, just record, just video. Yeah. Doing yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, and then you could see it. That's a good idea. I'm definitely going to do that on the, uh, maybe this week I'm going to be on the river. We'll get the kids out there. That'll be a nice little experiment with them. Get their, get, get their, their cast out. What are your kids? So how, how old are your kids there? I have, uh, Paisley is three and Parker is six. Yeah. Six. Yeah. Three and six. That's awesome. And, and how are you the type of dad that's like, oh man, they're going to be fly fisher, you know, fly fishers, you know, come hell or high water. Or are you kind of like, ah, no. if they get into it, they get no. into it. Yeah, they, I learned from the fly shop that the, it usually skipped a generation and that the dads that were like pushing hard never had sons and daughters that fish with them. It was, mm. it was the, it was the, when they wanted to do it because dad did it or they liked the outside, it worked out really well. Many times, yeah. like I said, it skipped a generation because the son hated fly fishing because their father pumped it on him so hard. And then yep. their son saw grandpa doing it and then they want to go with grandpa. You know, yeah. so it would skip. Yeah, yeah. I want my kids to be comfortable outside. That's yeah, the, you outside. Know, that's the main thing. You know, I exactly. want them to know how to light a fire. I want them to know how to, you know, run around uh, consciously with bare feet, you know, because you could be stupid with bare feet, too. Right. So, I mean, like oh, yeah. all, you know, all those things. I want my kids to be comfortable with being outside that. I And that's exposure. That's number one. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, let's finish up. I was on a track. I, we we talked uh, tips. I just want to get one more resource just to wrap this up on yeah, on, uh, yeah, sure. on small stream. So again, somebody, you know, they want to get into this. Maybe they don't know much about where do you set? Where could somebody go? Is there like you know, kind of books, magazines, YouTube videos, fly shops? Where, where would somebody could they dig in more on to learn about this? There are a lot of books about fishing small streams, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of videos and stuff on YouTube too. Um, I don't. I'm, this is not this is not for self promotion. Okay, mm-hmm. but I would say like if anyone listens to this and they have questions about um, small stream fishing and stuff like that, everyone is more than welcome to call me. Yeah, you know I I will take emails and stuff. Love I love I love to take emails. I really love to talk to people on the phone. Perfect. So um, what what's the what's the uh, give us? We're gonna try to blow up your number. What what's what's the number to call? Um, it's on the website. It's okay. It's on there, but 315-580-3150. Perfect. Um, Perfect. But it's, you know, jprossflyrods.com. But, you know, I want, I, the main thing is I want people to know that, like, they can call, talk, yeah. chat. No, I love that. That's way better than, uh, I mean, books, sure. Yeah, books, all that is great. But, yeah, there's nothing, nothing's going to beat talking to somebody or, or getting on the river with them, right? Dave, I ship rods every day, and my phone rings probably... 10 times a week. That's it. So that's amazing. So you're, and we're, so people are coming into your, your world. Um, I mean, you specialize in the small stuff, the small rods and, and where are these people coming from? Are they just, just through the, like, they're uh, all over the place. I got a chase after two. I got a rod going to Norway right now and a rod going to Australia that are stuck somewhere. Is this a word of mouth thing or is this more like a Google thing? I, I hope that it is both. Um, you know, the analytics would show me that there is some stuff that I'm doing advertising wise that's pulling people in. But, um, you know, this today is going to be a big deal that I'm on your podcast. I thank you for that, by the way. I really yeah. am very appreciative. 
because people can hear me and they can judge for themselves if I'm full of shit or if you know if they want to <laughs> if they want to go and look. So that's the power of I think the podcasting, right? It's it's such a cool because they can everybody listening right now can decide for themselves. They just heard an hour of you talking, and uh, and I I think it's been a pretty amazing hour. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I've never talked to you before, and now I feel like I got a little insight onto. Uh, what you're all about, right? So that's what that's what what this is all about. But let's take it out in the uh, we. I'm not going to leave the movie on the table. The movie's on the table. So <laughs> let's get into your top five or whatever. Give us some your movies. So you got to pick. Like you know, you're going to sit down with some old some movies. What are your top? Give us a few. Okay, so um, I mentioned Blues Brothers. So it, you know, Blues Brothers. Yeah. Well, what's his name? What's the big guy that passed away? Uh, John Belushi and Belushi. Yeah, yeah, Belushi. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be um, it would be Blues Brothers. It would be Smokey and the Bandit. It definitely would be. And Mark and I would both put all you know Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, down there for yeah. sure. Yep. Um, and modern wise, you know, like I, I love like Daniel Craig and the new 007 movies. I think he's oh, really? like super awesome. Oh, cool. Um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. I think because it's got a twist on all the old music. I just love that one. You know. Um, I get sentimental and I would list, I'd, I'd watch like, uh, on golden pond. Oh kind of yeah. Like a, I kind of, yeah. you know, I never like, I, I hated that movie when my parents would watch it. And now the drama, you know, the drama of, of the daughter and the father and, yeah. and the, and the, and the grandpa, you know, taking the kid out in the boat and they try to catch yeah. Walter. Right. I love that movie. Right. It makes me Fonda. The Fonda's. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Henry Fonda and Jane Fonda. Man, that was a good, yeah, that was a good, well, and I want to give a shout out Harrison Ford. Um, he's a fly fisherman. I know because I've been doing a little bit of research. We actually had Henry Winkler on a recent episode and that was fun. That's um, awesome. So, so we got a few, uh, we're, we're working on the celebrity. So Harrison's on my list and Indiana Jones, of course, is one of my favorites as well. So, all right. So we got some movies for you here. We'll, we'll throw some stuff in the show notes. And, and I also want to check on your podcast since you're a podcaster. This might be a hard one for you, but not your, not your top, you know, three or five favorite podcasts, but what are, what's in your deck right now? If you open up your podcast app, what were the last, the last five you listen to? So I'm not, I won't, I'm not going to promote any fly fishing stuff. No, because I don't listen to it as much, but this American life is what I model after. So, um, you know, Ira glass is, Oh yeah. The way I'm trying to do the in the scene podcast now, really basing it off of, uh, this American life and the style and the quality of that podcast. I think that it's, I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So that one's like by far at the top of my list. There are a lot of ones <laughs> what, have you li- what, what else have you listened to recently what are a couple other ones you've listened to recently i've been i have been listening to a lot of audiobooks um oh yeah late lately to be honest with you i there's a there's a book i didn't think i was gonna like and now i like it and it's called shop class for the soul huh like chicken soup for the soul sort of thing well it's a, so it's this guy talking about um how shop class as soul craft that's what it's called hmm and he's talking about really like kind of like blue collar work and how um, working with your hands has changed and and how good it is for you. And the guy really is a philosophy major. And um, it's a great it's a super great book. And I mean, I don't know. I can look at my podcast. stuff. I've been listening to you. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to Meat Eater a little bit, uh-huh. um, but it's kind of fallen out of love with that one. I'll be honest with you. 
Yeah, um, the meat eater. Yeah, so Rennell, he's they're they're huge, but uh, it's just too much chatty, chatty stuff. Like yeah, I, chatty. I'm gonna listen to stuff. Like that's why I find myself doing some audio books lately a little bit more because like I want to get like good conversation content. You know, I know. And I know. how do you feel? How do you feel today? We're, we're, we're wrapping this thing up. How do you feel about our conversation today? I think it's. I hope it's good. I think it's good because you know we're talking a little bit more in depth about stuff. And I think that when, if you're going to listen to something for over an hour, then the density of thought in regards to the topic, you got to get a little bit like dirty about it. Like you really got to get kind of down to the, to the meat. Yeah. And keeping it at face value, like, you know, what's your, you know, where do you like to fish and what are some of your techniques? Like you can engage somebody for maybe 10, 15 minutes on that. Yeah. But when you start talking about like, you know, like we started to talk about reflecting on death. Yeah. Where do we start this? We start talking about, about reflecting on our own lives. Oh, that's right. And the stress of going outside and, and, uh, and thinking about, you know, people that have died maybe and and the haunted, the haunted by water stuff. Yeah. The haunted. That's to me, that's maybe what a certain segment of people are going to want to listen to. Yeah, I agree. So, I agree. That's that's the feedback we hear. I think people love a, a little mix, you know, a little mix of it. But uh, no, this has been awesome, man. I think uh, you've uh, done an awesome job, and I, I'm excited to keep in touch with you. I love that uh, Mark is a good friend of yours. And um, yeah, we'll send everybody out to uh, jprossflyrods.com if they have questions. And like we said, we're going to have a number in there for us. So if anybody has a small stream question, they can just call you directly and pick your brain if that sounds good. That sounds absolutely great. We can... We can talk offline if there's any kind of promotion stuff you want to do. Um, you know, lot, lots of times I'll offer like sticker packs and discount codes. Oh, and stuff. cool. It's, it's your call. It's your podcast. We can oh, talk yeah. about it. Those. I often at work, I talk about discussion versus decision. So we'll have a discussion yeah. and you can decide, Dave. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll put something. I'll just give a shout out. We'll put something good together. So we'll have people they can check it out and they'll give a little incentive to give you a ring. And uh, cool, JP. Well, thanks again for all your time and looking forward to keeping in touch with you. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, I would be great to fish with you someday. If you do come to the to the Northeast, we will gladly give you hospitality. Yes, I, I definitely am going to hit you up on that. I'm I'm gonna I'm slowly working my way around the country, North America. That's my goal. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit that up. But uh, cool, man. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. So there it is. We are a go for a landing. Wetflyswing.com slash 358. 358 is going to get you those links. Everything we talked about today, you know it's good over there. I know you're loving it. Um, and the work we have going is definitely is definitely second to none. Cheers to Dom. We are coming down and breaking through the Earth's atmosphere Everything right now feels harder than the training, those training days, but in a cool way, the power, the power feels crazy, crazy good. Can't wait to land back on planet Earth. What's your travel story feel like? What do you have coming? Reach out to me and let me know. Dave at wetflyswing.com. I'd love to hear where you're heading uh, this summer, this fall, winter, spring. I want to hear what you have on tap. I would love, I would love to connect with you if you get a chance. Dave at wetflyswing.com. We are going to be uh, not only landing here, but we're going to be getting prepared for the next uh, excursion, the next uh, the next trip. We got a big one coming here, um, and it's going to be coming uh, big time uh, over to the Midwest. We're going to be doing a steelhead school. That's that's the big news coming up here. 
So uh, check that out if you get a chance. Uh, you can ping me anytime, and uh, I'll give you some information on that if you want to connect with me. I'm going to be fishing with Jeff Liske. Uh, Jeff and I and the crew, we're going to have a great crew. We're going to be up in our spay game. Um, if you ever wanted to up your spay game, have a good time, and have a chance at getting some steelhead action, Jeff explains it into a recent podcast he had, so this is going to be awesome. Can't wait to check it out. Hope to see you maybe, hope to see you maybe at the school on the water. If not, check in with me online. And I hope you are having a good afternoon, a good evening, or a good morning, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for stopping in today. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.